Sweet Dorks. We are new to Who. Whether you don't know the old and only the new. Or just need an entry into classic Doctor Who. We are the chaps with suggestions for you. I'm Stephen. I'm Cole. And I'm Dan. Hello, hello. Hello. Hello and Merry Christmas. Yeah. Uh, Merry Christmas to <laughs> both of you and all of our sweet dorks everywhere. Yeah, happy holidays. I'm coming at you from separate, uh, separate homes again. Once again, unfortunately, yes, we are still... In lockdown? Yeah. It's the way of 2020, isn't it? It is. And it's been the way of New to Who for 2020, unfortunately. But there you have it. At least we can still do this. Mm. It's good to talk to you guys. Really good to talk to you. <laughs> Always. <laughs> so, what are we doing today? Well, it's gonna. It's our Christmas episode, of course. So, uh, <laughs> Steve, do you want to... Yeah, it's a bit of an inversion from last year when we did our... Well, how, what would you call it? It was our nasty episode, wasn't it? We were in another <laughs> yes. universe. It wasn't us, sweet dogs. It wasn't us, really. No, it was our parallel selves, and, and they were hating on Doctor Who stories. Our least yeah. favourite. We're, we're going to pick a few favourites, our crap favourites, the ones that we know are a little bit crap, but uh, we love <laughs> yeah. nonetheless, and maybe even because they're a little bit crap. Yeah. So this is a, a ho-ho-hum special of, of New to Who, where we'll yeah. focus on the stories that maybe don't always get the plaudits and probably for good reason but we still love nonetheless yeah yeah it's our dirty little secrets the ones the ones that we just we just love them <laughs> I have, i'm not ashamed i'm not ashamed no i refuse to be ashamed nah, nor am i <laughs> <laughs> well we're airing it all out now yeah it's all coming out all right <laughs> and colin just like last time we've got a few uh rules or a structure around this so how are we going to do it again so it's going to be much like last time we're going to go through era by era chronologically each taking a turn uh five minutes only each and then uh, after that, the timer will go off. And afterwards, instead of saying something nice, we're going to say something that's crap about our crap favourites. <laughs> yeah, we're not blind to the fact that these are a bit rubbish. Uh, and we'll probably have to say why they're a little bit rubbish. But hopefully what's going to come through is just how much we absolutely adore each of these stories that we've picked. We may not yeah. even have to go say why they're, why they're crap because it's just well, everyone knows. It's Some of them rubbish. are, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so then let's maybe start with the 1960s. And Cole, I believe you're up with... The Edge of Destruction. <laughs> okay, is the timer on? Brilliant. And we're away. Okay, so The Edge of Destruction, it practically only exists because they were two episodes short of the 13-episode series that they needed. And they put it a two-episode filler in between the Daleks and Marco Polo set entirely <laughs> inside the TARDIS. It was low budget. It was just something to get the episodes up. What I love about it is I think the only way I can describe it is... It's an art house fever dream. Um, <laughs> aside from the visuals, the shadows are all long inside the TARDIS. It's quite spooky. There's just sort of there's a lot of unsettling stuff that's going on with, with the TARDIS crew and their behaviour. So it's obviously it's the first Dr. William Hartnell. It's Ian and Barbara and Susan. Mm -hmm. um, they start behaving quite out of character. Carol Ann Ford playing <laughs> Susan with the scissors is actually quite unnerving. Yeah, doesn't she have a freak um, out or something? Yeah. You know, it's it, the whole thing plays on the fact that they they you're thinking that there's something outside the TARDIS that's somehow gotten inside the TARDIS, and it's somehow affecting their behaviour. It's mm. affecting the behaviour of the TARDIS as well. So at points you're thinking, is Susan possessed yeah. by some sort of alien, unseen alien presence, <laughs> or um, you know? And as it turns out, in the second episode called Brink of Disaster, uh, it's actually all along it's been the TARDIS warning the crew that the Doctor's 
oh, what was it called? The fast return switch? That's it. <laughs> the fast return switch was faulty when he pressed it to take Ian and Barbara back to the 20th century in England. It, had not, it hadn't released itself. So the TARDIS was actually hurtling further and further and further in time towards the end of time. And that was the TARDIS's way of alerting them to the fact that something was very wrong. Mm. And they really just needed to open up that little tiny switch and pull the spring out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit undramatic in that regard. I do love this, like, we're on a kind of a third story, and already they're dealing with, like, ideas like the end of, like, going to the end of time. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. No, like it's the ha- beginning of time, because they're travelling back in time, so it's actually oh. they're going towards the Oh, Big of Bang. course, no. Sorry, Steve, you're absolutely right, yeah. because the Dalek Scaro was in the future, so heading towards the beginning of time. Ah. So let's see, yeah, it, sorry, I got that wrong. Well, it still holds. <laughs> I mean, it's just, a, it's just cool that so early on that they're... um. They're dealing with uh, cool concepts like going back to the beginning of time, and yeah. um, uh, and just like sci-fi concepts like that, and and already just using like using the TARDIS as a setting for a story, which yeah. I always like. Yeah. yeah. We, well, the TARDIS is so much of a mystery still at this mm. point that to learn something new about it is actually pretty great. There's a couple of weird moments where the Doctor says, "My machine doesn't think," um, <laughs> yet it it does. Uh, <laughs> you know, and as I mean, it's alerting you to the fact that something's wrong. And as we know in Future Who, the TARDIS is very much an entity of its own. Like uh, the other thing, I think Dan, you would have appreciated is that Barbara actually saves the day yes. in this one at the end. Of course, it's Boy. it's her wits <laughs> that actually get them out of the uh, the pickle they seem to be in. Love her. The other thing that I really love about that, going on from what you mentioned, Cole, about the machine starting to think, or at least the TARDIS being a character almost that we see later on, particularly in The Doctor's Wife, is that that's very much mm. the intent of David Whittaker's script here. Like, it is meant to be that the TARDIS is a character, and that's like such a revolutionary idea that the ship is not just a, a means of conveyance, but actually a sentient being. Uh, you know, and we see yeah. later on, you know, Tom Baker talks to it and pats the console and stuff like that. And mm. it, all of that sort of starts here. And I, I love that conception of the TARDIS that, you know, right from the beginning, it's seen as, as a sentient uh, machine rather than just, you know, something that is a, a prop or, or, or a plot device. So I think, yeah, it's really important in that regard. And, you know, it might mm. fail in terms of it being sort of like student Bertolt Brecht kind of production, but uh, <laughs> maybe that's part of its charm as well. Yeah, I think it's part of its charm. As I mentioned earlier, like I describe it as an art house fever dream because it's just, Mm. it's so early on in the show's history and it's just so different. I mean, obviously it's come about purely because they just had to get numbers of episodes up. They were working (laughs) within a budget, so sure. But for those reasons, I just love it. Mm. The gloomy lighting in the TARDIS, it's just, Mm. you could cut the atmosphere with a knife at times. I don't know, something about it, I always come back to it. I just, I really enjoy it. Mm. It's also one of my real favourite um, Doctor Who target books. And the, again, mm. William Russell does the audio narration, just superb and um, very, <laughs> very sort of um, not quite according to the script, but very sort of dramatic rendering of the Edge of the Destru- uh, Destruction. So I, I most uh, recognise it as the, as the target novelisation, which I absolutely love. Oh, and that's time. Oh, what? Okay, cool. All right. All right, well, what's next? Well, I mean, Cole, you've got to say something crap about what's oh, the crappiest yeah. thing Well, I can do this quite easily. Uh, <laughs> towards the end of the second episode, the Doctor mansplains how a stuck <laughs> switch would work to Susan, a Gallifreyan. Um, and he uses his torch and he says, you see how my thumb presses down and the light comes on? Now, the light's only going to stay on for as long as my thumb's on the switch. But then when I release it, do you see... 
And she's like, oh, yes, of course. Now I get it. It's like, wow. <laughs> that was crap. Yikes. I forgot about that. Yeah, good point. I mean, that must be a thin, that must be a real thin novelization. <laughs> I'd like to think it's maybe a bit more beefier with more in it. It is actually, yeah. So it's Nigel Robinson who was the commissioning editor at the time of the Target books. Um, he, he did a few Hartnells and he just really beefed it up and there's there's a lot in there that um, sort of adds to that atmosphere and the spookiness that, that Cole you were talking about as well. Well, all right. So for better or for worse, that was my 60s entry, The Edge of Destruction. Now, Dan, it's your turn with... Oh, well, my crap favourite from the 60s is easily The Chase. It's definitely The Chase. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Might not be such a surprise to our sweet dogs. Dan's often mentioned <laughs> on the pod about it's how it's his crap favourite. Start the, ch- start the clock, babe. All right, here we go. All right, The Chase. I mean, what, what do you say? It's, it's like six episodes long, which is <laughs> too long. <laughs> you got So it's the first Doctor, Ian, Barbara, and Vicky. Like, Vicky... Basically, uh, a better, a, a better Susan, like a smarter, better future Susan. Um, yeah, um, that's true. Sadly for Caroline Ford, which sucks for her. Uh, and you get Stephen Taylor at the end, and the Daleks. It's basically the Daleks get their own time machine and they're chasing um, the Doctor through time and space. It's just a, it's just a dumb, fun adventure through time and space. So they're just being in, the, uh, they're being chased by the Daleks in their own cool time machine uh, and getting getting to see a Dalek time machine is fun and um mm. and it's just like it's really just a series of locations and and times and places you know there's like mm. uh, the planet Iridius uh, the planet Mechanus uh, lots of different bits of earth time periods and things like that and there's like a haunted like an inexplicable weird haunted house <laughs> um, with a Frankenstein In 1996 Ghana the World Fair yeah it's so that's random right. <laughs> that's right uh, and Mechanus with um Sort of like I guess I don't know if they were trying to make a another sort of another iconic robot monster like the Daleks. Totally, I think they were. Yeah, well, whether they were or they weren't, um, they're pretty crap. <laughs> they're pretty rubbish. Yeah. But the they, mechanoids. Yeah, the mechanoids, and they do my my pet peeve about Doctor Who villains is when they talk really slow. And they they kind of <laughs> talk really slow, never get anything done because it takes too long to explain. And they have flamethrowers, and I just like how they kind of glide and. Yeah, they're fine. The Dalek mechanoid fight is pretty rubbish. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> I love it. Um, uh, yeah, there's there's jungles, there's there's deserts, and uh, there's a, cool, a few cool ideas in it. I, I really like the, the the stupid like the time TV, the time space visualizer, where yeah. they can just sort of watch any moment in history. They watch like um, uh, Abraham the Lincoln's. Beatles. Ad- yeah, yeah, the Beatles. Abraham Lincoln's address. Um, <laughs> Uh, Gettysburg, and then the yeah the Beatles, the Beatles that like apparently I just I didn't know this until recently, but apparently the Beatles were asked to be on, um, and oh. were going to be wearing like age, aged make aging makeup or whatever. So <laughs> oh they, my god! So they would be so they would be old in in the future. But Brian Epstein <laughs> very very cleverly uh, said no to that. That's probably would have been a oh. bad move. Oh, oh it would have been awesome. Was, I think that would be great. <laughs> it would have been great for Doctor Who, but probably I don't know. As a manager, you probably want to. Oh, look, I mean, the, the Beatles did so many different TV cameos and all sorts of shows playing characters and doing skits. I don't I think it was outside the realms of possibility <laughs> that that would have just been something they'd done and it wouldn't really have, I, like, I bet they would mattered. have wanted to do it because it's Doctor Who, you know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it probably would have been would have been great. But, uh, yeah, so there's the there's Beatles and, and uh, uh, they were going to have Churchill and a few other things, but... Uh, Anyway, and they're on. They go to the Empire State Building, and the Mary, the Mary Celeste, which is my, one of my favorite bits. Mm. Yes, um, and it's just generally a stupid, fun romp and an adventure. And at the end, you get the really lovely bit where Ian and Barbara take the Daleks' uh, time machine, um, and they finally get to go home. And there's a weird, 
there's like a weird photo kind of montage of them back in 65 London. Yeah, and it's just really, really sweet. It's just really lovely. Yeah, and I love the chase. There you go. I said it. I don't care who knows it. I'll scream it from the rooftops. I love you, the chase. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's a lot to love, not least because it never stays in one place long enough to get boring. (laughs) And that's, that's one of the things that really sort of sells it. Yes, there's some absolutely sort of you know, crap set pieces. And you mentioned yeah. earlier, Dan, the, the Daleks yeah. and the Mechanoids fight could only have been, you know, put together on a BBC soundstage. Like, it looks so, so yeah. horrifically bad. But it doesn't really matter because, no. you know, it's just it's just what Terranation does in Keys of Marinus, which is to take, uh, you know, setting after setting after setting. So it never feels like it's, you know, bogged down for too long, mm. unlike perhaps one of the other stories that we might talk about later on, Cole, <laughs> where it's stuck on mm. one planet for six whole episodes. Here it's sort of flitting yes. through time and space. And it makes so much sense because the first mm. appearance of the Daleks, the TARDIS team go to them. Second appearance, the Daleks come to us on Earth. And yeah. now it's just a wild, fun chase through space and time. And, and it's the program yes. so confident, you know, it's riding on the crest yeah. of Dalek mania. You know, Doctor Who is a massive uh, success. It's getting 10, 11 million viewers. And it's just having fun with the format. And why not? It doesn't have mm. to be, you know, po-faced and deadly serious all the time. And this is great. This is just, you know, a beautiful celebration of a moment in time of Doctor Who for me. And it's it's very early. It's like it's quite early Doctor Who in that way that where they where they're like, why don't we just go like to a bunch of different places in time and space? Yeah. It's a time machine that can go anywhere. Why not do it? Yep. It seems like they forget that sometimes that you've got this like yeah. you've kind of got like a not just like a, not a plot device, but you've got you know just like a this like this thing that can take you anywhere. And in that note too, I think um, look if it hadn't happened in the chase, it would have it was bound to happen somewhere else. Yeah. And I'm still I'm still gutted that um, they were going to make uh, a third. Doctor Who 60s movie yes. with Peter Cushing based on the chase yes. if the second one had done better than it did and, just, like, yeah. and like we said uh, when we did yeah. Dalek Invasion of Earth I guarantee you the Beatles would have gotten that yeah. cameo <laughs> if it had been a movie definitely oh and that's time oh, oh wow man okay Dan you've got to say something well you've said a few cr- things yeah, that are crap lots. what's oh, the one you choose how to, how to choose is it the, is it the, the haunted house is it the is it Iridius or I think it's probably just I love the mechanoids. Oh, oh, I, I love the mechanoids, but is, there's android replicas of like the Doctor and Vicky. And, <laughs> do you remember? And it's just you know it's They're just so straight bad. Up it's Edmund Warwick pretending to be William Hartnell, and he just yeah. does not look anything like him. <laughs> yeah, that's, great. that's probably my favorite. My, my, the crap is my crap is favorite bit. That has yep. to be yeah, definitely good pick. Thanks for indulging me, fellas. <laughs> no, we're indulging each other. Yeah. We finally um, did it. We did the chase. <laughs> so, all right, great. And so we'll round out the uh, 60s with Steve's pick. What, do you, what have you chosen, Steve? What's your crap favourite of the 60s? Well, it's, it's the War Machines, which is, uh, I know it's terrible. <laughs> I know that the plot doesn't make any sense. But it's so wonderful because we see William Hartnell in contemporary London for the first time since basically the opening 20 minutes of An Unearthly Child. And that in itself is just uh, just a beautiful moment of um, uh, almost homecoming for Doctor Who, right? Here it is coming back to, to, to Britain in, in a contemporary setting, except the Britain that we saw in 1963 is so very different to the, to the swinging 60s that we see uh, depicted here through you know Ben and Polly primarily who become mm. the companions uh, who I think are just absolutely wonderful and I kind of wish that we went from Ian and Barbara into Ben and Polly because there was so much 
sort of lost to time in between with characters who were either, you know, uh, Susan done right in terms of Vicky or, or Stephen Taylor, who seems to be to me like an Ian Chesterton clone. And there's mm. nothing wrong with that. Like I, I enjoy both of the characters, um, but it's kind of like retreading you um, the old ground, whereas, whereas Ben and Polly sort of take it into that swinging 60s. And, you know, just that wonderful sort of juxtaposition between the sort of late Victorian, even Edwardian figure of the Doctor with, you know, these two um, um, beatniks slash hippies. It's, it's just wonderful. And I, I love that sort of frisson. The other thing about it is that it's kind of like um, um, Terminator, except 18 years early, <laughs> in the sense that um, Votan is, is kind of like this super intelligence, artificial intelligence that plans on networking all the computers together and taking over the world with its war mm-hmm. machines. And that's like, oh, that's a pretty cool idea. Yeah. Totally, totally rubbishly realised just in terms of how boxy and crap the war machines are, but I kind of dig that aesthetic anyway. I I like them. Yeah, <laughs> Me too. Are. I actually like them. I've got yeah. a soft spot. Yeah, they look crap, but they look great. Does that make sense? Yep. <laughs> it totally makes sense. And they're kind of like of a size that sort of, like when they're when it's sort of, you know, bumbling down Covent Garden <laughs> yeah. um, later on in the story. It kind of looks, you know, pretty impressive. And it gives us uh, that incredible uh, part three cliffhanger, episode f- um, three cliffhanger, where it's Hartnell staring down the machine and, you know, there's a backlight and the cloak sort of billowing behind him and he's staring down this machine imperiously. It's Great. just so wonderful. I, w- yeah. One of my f- absolute favourite cliffhangers of all the Doctor Who, just such a wonderful what an image. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Totally, That's great. Totally love it. I love, I love the idea. It's it's one of those good ideas in fiction where you get a sort of um, an advanced computer that, that turns on its creators and it's super intelligent and it wants to destroy the world. I, I'm always down for that storyline. <laughs> I love Wojtek. <Yeah. laughs> I love Wojtek. Um, uh, it's yeah, it's a fun one. It's just like yeah, the monster. Yeah, the robots are a bit a bit crap, but I have a I've got a soft spot. And I yeah, I never really, th- I never really liked Ben and Polly that much, but I, you are right. They are kind of the first. It's really the first time where they stop retrading as opposed yeah. to. Well, and everyone before, they were all, even if they were spacemen or teachers, they were all kind of toffs. They were all you know, speaking in RP and very, um, yeah, a bit more middle class as opposed to Ben. Yeah, no, I, I think, but that, that's because they're um, so reflective of their time, which is, you know, the early 60s before really the Beatles really take off and, and, and London and England changes into a sort of countercultural capital of the world. But that's kind of what we see with Ben and Polly and why I think they're just so wonderful. I'd love for them to have had a full season you know, through uh, season three with William Hartnell, just because of that, you know, just the um, the difference between, um, you know, their at least the sort of physical descriptions. You know, we have, uh, as I said, like an old grandfather figure with um, with two young, bright young things. It would have been absolutely wonderful. Mm. We're definitely out of time now, Jen, so I know I have to <laughs> have to tell you what is the most crap thing about it, um, and that has to be look. Um, apart from the fact that it obviously looks a bit hokey, but we have to accept that it's the 1960s, so I'm going to give that a pass. But the one thing that I know is absolute crap is the plot. Um, it doesn't bear up to any kind of <laughs> uh, any kind of scrutiny whatsoever. But you know what? That's okay because, I, again, I'm going to try to excuse this if you indulge me. It's kind of like Doctor Who doing The Avengers. You know, it's 1966, 1967, so it's like the, the black and white Emma Peel um, series, I think, are going out at this time. And it could be lifted straight out of that in the sense that Votan is this supercomputer. It's going to network the whole... Uh, world together and sort of create these war machines and he does it in one night and that's like yeah that's probably what you'd find in an avengers episode even though it's like totally unrealistic still get still absolutely love it that was a good pick steve yeah that's a good one yeah thanks guys i really i really enjoy watching that on a rainy sunday afternoon 
I think I'm inspired mm. to go and rewatch that one now. I was thinking the same yeah. thing. I might do it this afternoon because <laughs> I didn't watch it leading up to this. Well, on that note, gentlemen, I believe we are heading straight into the 1970s. And Dan, you're up first with... <laughs> my my, uh, my crap favourite from the 70s is uh, definitely the, the Three Doctors. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's a bit of a bit of a stinker, but it's it's great fun. I really I just really love this one. It's the first kind of multi doctor story. It's not not that the like multi doctor stories are my are my favorite thing or anything, but it's just it's a lovely simple one. I just really love the bickering between the Troughton and the Pertwee doctors. It's yeah. just really fun, and then they're obviously <laughs> best friends by the end, and then kind of the Hartnell doctor comes in and just bangs their heads together. <laughs> When they're um yeah when they're when they're being jerks and then you've got the brigadier being like like he's at his very his most brigadierish like uh just just like hating everything everything that's going on he doesn't understand any of it he tries to concoct all these like all these like smarter like um, all these like more sensible reasons for the things that are happening than what they are it's like at one point he yeah. just seems convinced weirdly convinced that they're in Norfolk <laughs> it just made me laugh so hard. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the outfits are amazing. It's like uh, it's like Pertwee's full-on tomato sauce red jacket uh, with the yep. massive cravat and uh, um, Joe Grant uh, in great Joe Grant <laughs> form, wearing it's that blue, bright blue fur coat, being amazing. She was great. Um, yep. <laughs> and there's lots of things about it. There's like I really like the time. So the idea of kind of like Time Lord mythology. It's the first time I kind of do that, but without too much, but yep. without too much like boring Gallifrey stuff where they get which they get bogged mm. down in later. Just the idea of like the people who created time travel back in the day uh, being lost to time and all that stuff that's really fun I just really like it it's just a shame that at, in the end Omega himself is kind of crap and just a big shouty man um, yeah with that sort of cardboard helmet yeah it's... oh but I did I totally forget every time that when he takes the helmet off he's not even he's not there anymore that's just an amazing <laughs> shot where he lifts up his helmet and you see Pertwee and yeah. like you see the doctors on the other side oh man it's such a good such a great shot and they're just like you're alive because you will it it's just like such a weird idea, mm. such a great idea. And there's so many other crap bits, like when it, they've got the there's the games, the game warden Ollis, and everyone else mm -hmm. who disappears. Whenever they reappear back in Earth, they get sent back. They do a jump. <laughs> Obviously, they've jumped, and in midair, they've cut them back in in uh, like in a double take, and it's just like <laughs> they sort of they jump. It's such a great, stupid first year drama student idea. <laughs> I just love it. <laughs> yeah, um, and it's just oh, lots of other bits. Like uh, Trouton says at one point, he says, "Oh my giddy aunt." It just made me laugh. I just lost it. It was so funny. Can I just say how fantastic is Troughton in The Three yeah, Doctors? I just think he's so much fun. He hasn't skipped a yeah. beat since he's left the show. He's a giggle. He's fantastic. He's a giggle. And, and, and it's just like, uh, yeah, Benton gets a bit more, gets a bit beefier of a role. Um, and we get to see a little mm. bit of like Time Lord, a um, little tiny bit of Time Lord Society, but not so much that it's like annoying and boring like it usually is. Um, uh, and I do... I do have a little bit of a, I've got a weird, tiny, minor, familiar link to this story because um, my great-uncle Roy, my mm -hmm. great-uncle Roy actually plays the Time Lord president in this story. <laughs> it's just, Is that yeah, right? it's just dumb. <laughs> it's just really That's funny. so cool. But I'd never, I only learned it maybe 10 years ago and my mum told me that he was in it and I, uh, I'd seen it many times before that, but this was the first time I'd watched it knowing that he was in it and it was just really nice to see him much younger than I remember him, like... Um, He's 50-something in this, and when hmm. I knew him in the 80s, he was like, you know, pretty, quite, him and his wife, quite quite old, really sweet, sweet couple, they were always really sweet to me. They, That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, like the actors of the family, they had like a big house in Weybridge in Surrey, and uh, 
Beautiful. Uh, yeah, a few like big family get-togethers, but they would always be there. They were just um, they were just really sweet to us. Yeah, that's really really cool. <laughs> it's just nice to see them on screen. He's also the the head warden in The Mind of Evil, which I didn't know at all. Well, yeah. well. Oh wow! <laughs> just good at playing like steely older dudes, <laughs> like steel steel grace, yeah. like seventies men. <laughs> that's so cool. They were both in. Uh, he and his wife were both in uh, like all of those like uh, Zed cars. Um, Dixon of Dockery and you name it, all those 60s British TV shows. Brilliant. You guys like this? Do you guys like The Three Doctors? Love it. You know what? I, I love the idea of it. And I love the novelization as well, more than I actually think the, um, yeah, definitely. the, the production is all that great. Because, like, you know, there's things like um, Omega's Lair looks like it's just been, you know, five minutes ago, just come off the, uh, the set designer's, uh, uh, you know, um, workbench and, you know, the, tr- the paint's still sort of wet, I'm sure, on, on it. Um, and it kind of looks a little bit cheap. And the flame of singularity, which is described yeah. as this, you know, wonderful sort of huge flame in the middle of the chamber in the, in the target novelization just looks like a, you know, crappy little smoke, puff of smoke, smoke that's machine. Sort of coming up from the studio floor. <laughs> totally take all that on board. But... It's still so cool an idea, and what I particularly love about it is that Omega is depicted um, as the Greek god Hephaestus, who's who gave the gods all of these wonderful, uh, you know, weapons and whatever else, and then for all his efforts was cast from Olympus, yeah. and you know was um, sort of ex- excluded and expelled from um, from their society, from their from their inner circle, which is obviously the story of of Omega, and it just makes him like Hephaestus, like this really almost pathetic figure that you can't help but you know feel really sorry for and in the end where you know the two doctors give him his freedom by presenting you know the <laughs> Troughton's crappy old recorder because it's the one thing of matter that will sort of create that that uh, that explosion and he'll sort of have to go back into antimatter and give him his freedom or his end in that regard it was just like so dumb. oh that's really sad like there's no escape for omega only, like only death is his his escape and that's just mm. it's so full of pathos for me mm. I just wanted to say that I'm really glad that someone chose the Three Doctors because aside from Dan's awesome family connection to it, I just love it. I adore the Three Doctors. Maybe part of it's because I do, as you guys know, I do love the Pertwee Earthbound era with the unit family and stuff, Mm. and it does take place amongst all that. I find it charming. Yeah, it is. I find it sad that William Hartnell was too ill to actually be in the production on set, but I do like that he's in it (laughs) because it's sort of the last thing he does before he he does, unfortunately, um, pass on. Mm. Yeah, and it, yeah, and there's that lovely bit at the end where uh, Pertwee gets his—they give him his memory back and they give him the uh, the dematerialization circuit, and he's uh, he's off. He's uh, uh, yeah, he's about to yeah. leave. It's great. I just love that they. So it serves as a platform for that yeah. as well, which is great. Yeah. He's no longer in exile. Yeah. All right, Dan. We've definitely gone well over oh, five minutes. Yeah, for this yeah. one, which is <laughs> great. Doesn't it's matter. A great one. Obviously, and all all clearly, we we love it. So <laughs> you're going to have to say what is something unremittingly crap about the Three Doctors. I don't know. If, is it crap? I don't know. My one of my favorite bits that's just kind of rubbish is like as the lab. You know, there's that sort of um, the blob monster that's like kind of the gateway to the uh, antimatter dimension. It's, the gel guards. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And it sort of like sucks up things away from the lab. It takes away a bench, and then it takes a big chunk mm. of the wall where the doors are. And a bunch of other bits, yeah. and then when they go, when they end up in the other dimension, in the antimatter black hole, whatever it is, um, in the quarry, basically, all the all the bits <laughs> that have been sucked away by the monster are just peppered around the quarry, including that big wall with the wibbly edges <laughs> with the doors, and then they're like, oh, it's the lab doors, and then she goes around the other side and says they're locked. <laughs> 
<laughs> just great fun. Do you think they were just like, we need more stuff on set? Can we just bring all that yeah. out on a truck? <laughs> it's so fun. And just litter it about the place. And so there's just all these bits, but it, it kind of it helps you realize it does. As you know, it, help, it mm. makes it very clear what's happened, and you're like, oh wait, so it's all been sent to this other place, and that's why they're not dead. And but it's just like bits of lab lying around in a quarry. I love it. It's rubbish. It's great. <laughs> Speaking of quarries, I'm surprised uh, you didn't come in with Quarry Watch. Oh, Quarry of the Month Club. Well, this isn't a full-on, a full episode. We're not doing full, deep research into these stories, so I thought this is... We're just skidding around <laughs> at the top, right? <laughs> all right. All right. Thanks, fellas. That was a fun one. I uh, We're going deeper into the 70s now. Uh, so, Cole, what's your crap favourite of the 70s? Planet of the Daleks. <laughs> Where do you begin? Look, guys, you've got Thals. You've got ice volcanoes full of jelly ice that ice that never hardens. <laughs> You've got uh, pink, pink fur coats. You've got uh, Pertwee in his beautiful green ensemble this time, the emerald green uh, smoking jacket and the lighter green cravat. Invisible monsters. Yeah, what can I say about it? It's colourful, it's dynamic, it's fun. Uh, there's throwbacks to, like, the original Dalek serial with Ian and Barbara, mm. uh, yeah. because, of course, there's sort of a lot of that comes into it. And it is six episodes, which is maybe a touch too yeah, long. Yeah, the sixes are always a bit much for me. <laughs> but as a six-episode story, I do stand by the fact that it it, it works. It does move. Yeah, I just love. I really, really love. This is my favorite Pertwee ensemble, man. The, that green, the all green like suit and cravat, <laughs> mm. and that brown sort of it's jacket. Beautiful. Oh man, it works. It's great. And then when it, she lays him down on the TARDIS bed right at the start, you get the camera yeah. just like you just get a great view just straight up his massive nostrils and it just make always makes me giggle <laughs> i love it it's just great do you know something about that scene that i i always wish maybe it'd come back in new who at some point you know how joe grant has the recorder and she's sort of recording what's happening and she's like the doctor's unconscious i'm gonna go outside now and have a look around i need to get help mm. i always wanted that tape to somehow get found again one day and <laughs> and played in the new series <laughs> Somehow tied in. I don't know. I just like the idea that it's sitting there somewhere in the TARDIS. I think one of the reasons that this this kind of works is that it's Terry Nation rewriting the Daleks in a way that is... Like, the Daleks itself was a 1950s sort of Dan Dare kind of story for the 1960s. So it's already, like, a little bit out of date. And here it is 10 years later. It's totally out of date. It's kind of like him... You know, salvaging that that original script, rewriting it, but using all of the tropes, using all of the beats, and it's just like, okay, cool. So, this is this is very much a homage to um to the Daleks, and that in itself kind of works. Yeah, it's it's definitely one of those stories that if you're in the right mood, kicks along. You know, great sort of Pertwee six parter in space with Daleks. What's not to love? For whatever reason, I love it. I love the Thals, and it's it, it, yeah, it does move. It's a fun it's a fun space adventure on an alien planet for um. For Pertwee yeah. and Joe, uh, it's all about that green green and brown ensemble for me. This is that makes this one. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. <laughs> Perfect for a jungle Atmos yes. as well. <laughs> Something else that was weird, like other, like the, I, I did stream it uh, this time around before we recorded today because I wanted to watch it all again. And yeah, the streaming service that I, that I was using, uh, well, the third episode was in black and white, which I love that old quirky <laughs> vintage thing about some of these stories. Some of it's in black and white, some of it's in color sometimes. Yeah. And I, I love that. But the whole thing had French subtitles. Yeah. So <laughs> I, uh, finally got, I finally found out what Alon Z means, uh, which essentially just means let's get on, let's yeah. get on with it. Um, also, the, unfortunately, the episode three stream, there were every, every now and then there'd be like no audio for a whole minute. 
And I really wish those subtitles weren't in French. Yeah. Because I can't read or speak French. I'm just, trying, I'm just thinking, like, what's the only way to make son of, like, Pertwee more prickly is to make him French. Like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, gents, we've, we're just on five minutes here at this point. Right. Okay. Right, cool. So what's your, what's your sort of, like, what's the crappiest thing that you still really love about this story? Okay, there's a couple. <laughs> now, I could, I could chime in with you, Dan, and say that one thing that I find quite frustrating is that the uh, Spyrodons all talk really slow <laughs> in a whisper and it really does get on your nerves. I'm not going to choose that. What I'm going to choose is one of the... And look, it can be forgiven. It's early Doctor Who, but there's an inconsistency. I just cannot... I refuse to believe that the TARDIS could ever run out of oxygen yes. when it's covered with plant sap. Um <laughs> And also that the TARDIS's emergency oxygen supply would be that tiny crate conveniently next to Pertwee in the TARDIS with, you know, maybe six six canisters in it. I'm sorry, this is a multi-dimensional craft. Yeah. It's almost limitless. Rooms create themselves. Yeah. Just pop down it's, the library and have a yeah, breather, man. Yeah, like, well, you know, like... And, and, you know, the oxygen for the TARDIS doesn't come from outside the ship. It being covered up in sap is not yeah. going to stop exactly. oxygen getting in. Like it's, it's kind of it bugs me. Uh, it's kind of ludicrous. I think it's peril for peril's sake. Mm. Yeah. Um, sure, it serves the story. Sure, it probably wasn't something that, that was <laughs> so glaringly obvious back then, but it gives me the. <laughs> it's kind of crap. That's what I'm going to choose. <laughs> yep. It's it's Terry trying to do the uh, fluid links, uh, the mercury yeah. fluid links, and uh, oh, what, yeah. do I, what do I use this, use this time? No oxygen. <laughs> Peril for its own sake. You're right, definitely. Mm. So, good. so on that note, uh, gentlemen, thank you for indulging me on that one. We're going to throw over to Steve with your pick for the seventies. It's the Android Invasion, guys. Oh, so Absolutely so love this one. <laughs> this one's a real fish and chip supper, isn't it? I love it. <laughs> It's a real pleasure, this one, yeah. It's fun. There is just so much to love about this. There's an inordinate amount of outdoor filming, around about half an hour's worth yeah. over the whole 90-odd minutes or so. Um, you know, they're in the English country and it looks all, you know, summery and beautiful and green. Um, the location shoots are absolutely wonderful. And Tom and Liz are just sparkling, oh, like, yeah. particularly on Always. the location. They're just having so much fun and it shows. It's, it's Doctor Who and it's not... Um, as, as sort of dour and terrible as perhaps it, it, it can be. Uh, and I am thinking of season 13 stories here, including uh, for me, which um, I think a lot of people say that this is the worst of season 13. It's not for me. I think the uh, the Planet of Evil is because it's unremittingly just dull and a bit <laughs> po-faced and boring, whereas this is just yeah. fun and stupid. And Doctor Who can be fun and stupid. In fact, I prefer it when it is. Yeah. The mm. other thing about it is that it's very much a retread of that Earth invasion trope which funnily enough tying back into the war machines but here it is but it's kind of like on the other side of uh its heyday because we've had pertwee in the meantime and that has been you know the earth uh being invaded by by aliens except here it's not actually um earth necessarily being invaded invaded by aliens at least not in the first half because it's actually a training village uh for <laughs> yeah. the evil krals who are on their own Great planet, idea. which is irradiated which is another terry nation trope but um <laughs> There's the tie again, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's again it's Doctor Who does the Avengers, and maybe these this is why these two stories sort of shine out for me. Um, Terry Nation wrote a script called Invasion of the Earthmen uh, for the Avengers, and that is very very similar, I think, to this one as well. So uh, yeah, definitely that's a huge part of it. Even though 
you know, the whole thing about the plot just doesn't make any sense. In particular, Crayford, like, has he not thought to check underneath that eye patch to see whether he actually can look, look out through that eye, of course? <laughs> it's just, like, so, so ridiculous and almost indefensible. Um, and you might be able to say, well, the Kryles have been brainwashing him and whatever else. But even if you take all that sci-fi nonsense away, it is just a really, really poor um, <laughs> example of plotting, I guess. Yes, big crap. The other really good thing mm. about it is we've got Unit again, and well, yes. after a fashion, uh, we don't have the Brigadier um, Colonel no. Faraday, who actually plays Mother in uh, that uh, that series of the Avengers. Uh, Patrick Newell is the actor's name. Um, he, he sort of plays a, a, a bluff and blustering sort of uh, a Unit Colonel. Uh, but we see, you know, uh, Sergeant Benton. Uh, we see Harry Sullivan again, and it's yeah. lovely to see them. Um, what isn't so great is that they're probably a little bit underused mm. and. Uh, mm. Are they what? Especially Sullivan. I mean, if this is the last appearance, I guess, for, for, um, for both Harry and for, for Benton, it's not exactly the best way to sort of see them out. But it's just lovely to see them again. And, yeah, I think it's just one of those stories that just you could watch it over and over again and just be charmed by the, the performances and the, and the locations. The other thing, of course, is that uh, we have one iconic cliffhanger. Oh. I, I know I love it. Uh, it's just one of those ones that's always going to stick in your mind. It's... Server, well, rather, the android server rolling down the hill and the face falling off. Yes. It's fantastic. So, it's incredible. And, like, before I even was a Doctor Who fan in the 80s when they used to sort of screen Doctor Who all the time on, uh, I think it was like 5.30 or 6.30 in the, uh, in the evening, um, that is a moment that I remember as a kid. I'd, I would have been very, yeah, very young. Sure. Um, but that... Stands out, and even now I can remember as a Doctor Who fan. Now, when I wasn't a Doctor Who fan, being really young and, and seeing that, and just being absolutely scared witless, like just the imagery mm. and the iconography of that alone, just incredible. It is. It's just you're not expecting that, it. I guess that's the main thing, and and uh, just the, the the way the eyes yeah. are sitting there on little stalks, and mm-hmm. there's like a little microchip and, board in there and stuff. It's and that like, it's a robot, but it's plastic. Like instead of a metal robot, it's a plastic um, automaton with yeah. those eyes on top. It's so good. And the, so the fact that he sort of leads into it by saying, you know, these aren't these trees aren't real. It's not a real planet, and you're not the real Sarah. It's like what? Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, that good, was such a great scene. Um, I've got to um, ask you guys something. In the first episode, when we sort of have the, the astronaut-type characters with the finger guns and stuff, oh, do you think so the good. audience would be forgiven for thinking <laughs> that this was going to be an Auton story? <laughs> or like a... Yeah. Or Ambassadors of Death or something. Guys in yeah. space. Well, so, yeah, well, we wouldn't have seen the Autons since Pertwee. Yeah, yeah, very possibly. Since oh, Terror of the Autons. I, I so. love the Kraals as well. Like, I, I, do, I do love Stigron. I love saying Stigron. Such a good a good word, <laughs> and I do. They are a bit crap, but I do love his the the mask, like the the the, the stigger on head. It's great. Like I think, Android Invasion is the first. Like when we got to uh, after I finished Doctor Who finished when I was a little kid, I was like bummed there was no Doctor Who. And I think Android. I was at the library, and the first book I found was Android Invasion with this awesome cover of like Tom mm. Baker, who I didn't realize was a Doctor because I didn't know there were other Doctors apart from Sylvester McCoy, and. So, so he's tied to a post by two astronauts, and then there's a, just a giant stig run right at the front, looking like super mean. It's a great cover, great novel cover. I love it. <laughs> it's a, it is it a really great cover. Is, yeah. I really love it. Yeah, definitely. They do, they do suffer that 70s thing of having to talk through a rubber mask, yeah. but, you know, I can yeah, forgive that. Great. I love stig <laughs> Well, now, Steve, it's time for you to choose the crappest thing about your crap favourite. What could that be? Oh, look, so many. Like, I am not <laughs> blind to the faults of this story. I could, you know, pick apart the plot. I could pick apart, yeah. um, you know, the fact that we've got uh, a few questionable performances and Patrick Newell's sort of imbecilic um, Colonel um, Faraday is probably chief amongst them. 
But the, mm. the, 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 the crap thing that I'm going to, I'm going to sort of put on the table here is the, you know, super virus that uh, the Kraus plan on releasing to sort of, you know, ravage the earth within three weeks is contained mm-hmm. in what is clearly an old Vaseline container. <laughs> <laughs> and it is just so BBC budget, but I love it so much because of it. And it's just this crappy little thing. They didn't even go with the beaker with the smoke coming out of it, you know, with the bubbly green liquid or something. Uh, no, they didn't have budget for it that week, Cole. Yeah. So crap. Yeah, and that's a that's a good that's choice. A great one. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's it's sad that Nicholas Courtney uh, couldn't be in it. I think he had like other commitments, like oh, some sort of stage show or something that he was touring with. Yeah, probably. But would you want to take that part? Him as the brigadier in this one would have been great. Yeah, I mean, it would have been lovely to see him, just like it would have been lovely to see him in mm. Season Doom. But if that part, that Colonel Faraday part, were the same lines that br- the brigadier was meant to have been given, that would have just been terrible. And you can just imagine, you know, Nicholas Courtney sort of getting the script and going. I'm going to pass on this one. Yes. Oh my god, Unav- I'm unavailable. Sorry. I just love. I love that we briefly get like an evil, evil unit as well, like an evil robot unit. I love when uh, when we have evil unit. It's great. I see. I didn't even. I haven't even spoken about that yet. But you know, the the way in which the characters sort of face off against their evil doppelgangers, just another awesome part of the of the uh, of the story. And again, probably could have been done more with. I do love that pub scene. Sarah's hiding in the cupboard or whatever, and, the, and the, it's so spooky the way they're all just standing around staring at her. Waiting for the clock to strike? It's really great. So good, yeah. Or the calendar, which is the same, same day, day yeah. over and over again. This is, yeah. All, all the coins are the same. They're all freshly minted with the same year on them and stuff. Like, yeah. Uh, it, <laughs> such a good part one, definitely. Oh, anyway, we've been talking far too long about the Android invasion. I think it's time, yeah. gents, that we go into the 1980s. <sighs> The '80s is the like the, the some of the best, worst, and gloriously crappest, like lovingly crappest Doctor <laughs> Who. I can't wait. All right, yeah, well, so we're because we're starting the '80s, uh, a wonderful era. So, Stephen, what's uh, your first? What's your um? What's your pick for your your favorite crap Doctor Who? Oh, this, look, there's so much I could have picked really isn't there. Yeah. Um, but I have to go with the Davison because yep. I'm almost contractually obliged. Oh. And I have to go with season 19 because that's my favourite of the Davison seasons. Uh, and it's Black Orchid. It's a it's a quaint little two-parter tucked away in the middle of you know season 19 and sort of oh. bringing you into a fault, lulling you into a false sense of security before the, you know, earth-shattering events of Earthshock. Uh, and it is entirely non-consequential, non, non-essential. It is so slight, but it is so lovely and pretty, particularly part one. We have the TARDIS team arrive in this, uh, you know, very sort of upper crust English village. They're, they're ferried away to play a charity cricket match uh, whilst Tegan and Nyssa and, and Adric sort of, you know, dance yeah. and eat and whatever else. And it's all very jolly. And then we have a murder right at the end of part one, and it's like, oh, hang on, what's going on here? Have we been set up for an Agatha Christie English countryside murderer? Except it's not quite that. And this is this is kind of where the crappiness comes in. Part two is an enormous <laughs> letdown. I totally understand it. There's all sorts of, you know, BBC casual casual classism at play. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, the, the villain is revealed to be the, the twin bro- brother who's been, you know, mutilated by um, Indian tribes, uh, South American tribes uh, on the Orinoco River. And it's horribly yeah. polonialist in his attitudes. So and then at the end of it, 
(laughs) Exactly, so Victorian. And then at the end of it, instead of being held to account for their horrible actions, um, you know, the family's sort of let off scot-free and the doctor doesn't do anything and he's given a book and he says, thank you, I'll treasure it, and I guess, you know, that's it. Um, So definitely that second part lets it down and it's horrible, questionable politics. And the plot itself is just... What is going on? Because it's been so beautifully set up yeah. to be an Agatha Christie, and then it doesn't do that at all. Like, it, it just sort of throws that away. But let's yeah. just sort of, you know, glorify in that first part where, you know, Davison's taking wickets and hitting fours and all the rest of it, and it's all captured on, on beautiful grainy film um, somewhere in the English countryside. Uh, I think it's probably the moment that... Davison seems to, or Davison's doctor, the fifth doctor, seems to be most at home. You know, he's characterised as an Edwardian cricketer. Here he is in Edwardian times playing cricket. Um, So I think, yeah, for that reason, I know it's deeply flawed and horribly crap, but particularly that first episode I could just watch over and again. And it's, Mm. yeah, comfort food, Doctor Who comfort food from the early years. It is really nice in that first episode to see them having fun. They're they're almost like on a little holiday, like a little Victorian holiday. And they're... Yeah. And like, so, you know, like they're all dressed up and like Tegan and Issa are trying to get Adric to dance and they're all like smiling and like they're having a good time. It's just really, yeah, it's nice amidst all the death and carnage and horror just to have a brief <laughs> moment of like a, a garden party. It's just a great, it's great. If it was just one episode of them having like a little holiday garden party break dancing and at the end they're like, cool, let's go back to the toes. I would have been like, this is my favorite episode ever. <laughs> it's great. But no. Yeah, yeah, there's no murder at the end of part one. It's like, all right, we'll see you guys later. And then... Isn't Michael Cochran in this that uh, he plays Red vs. Van Cooper in Ghostlight? Yes, he is. Playing a very similar, like, similar type of dude. <laughs> Pretty much colonial, like, oh, man. He, yeah, he's really, he's just good at playing that Victorian jerk. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's brilliant, I, definitely. I just love it. That's, it is so Victorian. It's like the monster is yeah. something we're ashamed of, a family member we're ashamed of because he's slightly disfigured and a bit mad like what why how is that a monster it's so funny i guess it's those old family Uh, principles from the time isn't it is it a blessing that it's only two parts oh yeah there's there's no there's no there's no story beyond beyond that i mean imagine this is a four-parter yeah well that's the thing if you were to add filler to it it'd be even worse Oh, good Lord, no. You'd have even more scenes of Davison wandering around in a bathrobe looking for an exit. It's just, you know, how is that <laughs> <Yeah>. a plot? <laughs> or the Harle- that weird, like, Harlequin outfit where when he takes the mask off and he's just walking around with the, 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 just the Harlequin outfit from the neck down. It's, so, yeah, it's fun. It is fun. But it, I do yeah, enjoy it. Ludicrous. I do enjoy it. I understand why <laughs> yeah. he chose it. I do. It is. Well, it, yeah, it is a very divisive story, right? People love it or hate it, I think. Yeah. Oh, that's the uh, our alarm has gone off. The time is up. Uh, so, Steve, uh, if you had to pick one crap thing about this that you still love, what would it the, the crappest thing about this story, what would it be? Look, the crappest thing that maybe I still love, even though I know I shouldn't, is probably when the Doctor decides to take everyone into the TARDIS, as though that explains that he's not a murderer. Mm. Uh, but the, the one thing that I recognise is crap and is, is beyond sort of salvaging is definitely the the unintentional politics of, you know, the disfigured as being, you know, evil, um, which is something that Doctor Who is kind of guilty Mm. of and is guilty of here again. And the fact that, you know, these upper crust toffs don't get their comeuppance at the end of it. Mm. I just would love to have seen a version where, you know, as a result of their actions, they just bring enormous shame upon their family by the village and, you know, they're all shunned at the end of it. And that's the, you know, that can be a nice way to finish it. It's got to be some sort of, you know, repercussions for what they've done. And Mm. there there isn't, sadly. So, yeah, I would say that's probably the crappest thing about Black Orchid. Yeah, toffs, toffs always get away with it, you know. That's how it goes. (laughs) There's no no Scotland Yard, no Agatha Christie. (laughs) (laughs) 
But that should have been the doctor, right? That should he should have been Hercule Poirot, yeah. and uh, you know, bringing him to book. But mm. it doesn't happen. All right. Well, uh, staying with Davison, I guess um, we've, we're going into our next story of the 1980s, and it's it's yours, Cole, isn't it? It certainly is, gentlemen. It's party time. It's the Five Doctors. <laughs> Glor- this is gl- a glorious choice, and I feel like it's this is probably the big the big one of our this entire episode. This is the big one. Everyone, yeah. It's. I I'm going to challenge anyone to say they hate this one. To be honest, there's got to be something you love about it. Um, yeah. Aside from the fact I have a fond connection to it because it was the very first Doctor Who story I ever owned on VHS as a teenager. Mm. The first one I saved my pennies for. Second one was Tomb of the Sidemen, which I've mentioned a few times. First one was The Five Doctors, and I wore this thing out. (laughs) I wore this tape out. I love it. Okay, so, yeah, it's another multi-doctor story. In fact, it's the next multi-doctor story from uh, The Three Doctors. Mm -hmm. Um, I love so much about it. I love Troughton, again, is just fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Him paired up with Nicholas Courtney is great. Uh, I kind of really enjoy that Tom Baker refused to be in it and that they had to sort of like use bits of Sharder and stuff to sort of keep him in there. I love the fact that there is just needless cameos from so many past characters. Uh, the Dalek, the, the Dalek with the first doctor and Susan, I mean, he serves no purpose. Um, it's peril for peril's sake again, yeah. but I love it. The Cyberman with Troughton and or the second Doctor and the, and the brick with the hand coming through the wall. But with like 80s, this is like the 80s tinfoil uh, Cybermen as well, right? Which is yeah, like yeah, yeah, pairing yeah, them definitely. With yeah, it's the Earthshock so Cybermen. So yeah. it's good to see them out there in the smoke and the rubble. Um, <laughs> I, I do kind of also like how, yeah, it's cheesy, but that all the Doctors do pair off with someone. So, you know, we've got, yeah. um, we've got Pertwee, the third Doctor, with Sarah Jane Smith again, which is mm. just great. Yeah, she does lovely. that pretty crappy, like, roll down the hill and he has to <laughs> say with a bit of rope. It's like, that was really not... <laughs> that was not a steep decline. No, yeah, the matchups are, they're like, the, my favourite part of it. It's just, like, it, everyone gets a, 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 a cute pairing and you just, like, I want to go back to that one. And then you're like, oh, I want to go back to that one. They're just, like, really fun to watch. And I've got, I've got to say, like, I love the fact that the, the Ainley's master is in this one too. And I just love yeah. the fact that... He amps it up just that little bit extra. Well, he's, he's got so great. much to compete with, right? Like, he's got so many other people to compete with. He has yeah. to just add on a little slice of ham, and I just love it. <laughs> I love ham, Hammy Ainley. He's so good. Hammy Ainley rules. He's just having so much fun. Ainley, I just feel like Ainley's always having so much fun. That yeah. I just love him. Yeah, he's wonderful. This is another Terence Dick script, and it isn't the most wonderful plot like we could say horror fang rock is for instance which is just a masterpiece yep. where it knits all together but this is a different kind of masterpiece because what they've asked uh, terence dicks to do uh, in terms of all of the characters all of the villains all of the monsters um, the scheduling <laughs> of the actors and all the rest of it to try and juggle yep. that and produce a coherent script no other mortal on earth could have done that. Like, it is just a piece of celebratory fun. Yes. That actually still sort of holds together. And, you know, there's definitely, as you say, gratuitous, you know, appearances here, there, and, and the rest of it. But you have to expect that for a for a 20th anniversary story. Yes. And this was, this was something that was initially uh, handed to Robert Holmes. And he had a look at the brief and was like... No, I can't do this for you guys. Sorry. So yeah, so that's how we got Terence Dicks. Like that's how big an ask it was that even Robert Holmes was just like can't do it. But uh, yeah, so many fond memories. Like yourself, Cole. VHS uh, tape on this ran like just absolutely. You know, fell to, to dust 
uh, by the end of it because my sister mm. and I, Lisa, we'd just watch it over and over again on weekends mm. yeah. and yeah. It, it, like on loop basically and it was just yeah. glorious to just sort of sit there and, and take it all in over and over. It was, yeah, fond memories of the fi- of Five Doctors. I think one of the most addictive things about watching it pl- practically on a loop is it's just the the throwback. It's the Hartnell speech from the Dalek Invasion of Earth at yeah. the very start yeah. of episode one. We get the cold open. We get the one day... One day I'll come back. Speech, it just sets you up for party town. You just you just know <laughs> yeah. it's coming. It's a nostalgia fest, yeah. and I'm all in for it. Yeah, it's such a it's such a good uh, cause, yeah because it was at, it was at uh, like our video store in the sci-fi section, so I would get it out every other week, and it was just like a real good like rainy Sunday mm. pleasure watch. Like mm. you just like you know what's going to happen. And you've seen it before a million times, but it's just so just so fun, like satisfying. Yeah. To watch them all, and like, uh, there's some messed up stuff in it. Like, I love that, um, Bruce, you know, our buddy, the good, the good guy, yeah. turns yeah. out to be, and he gets trapped in the the thing where he gets trapped in the statue with the eyes still rolling around. Really chilled, yeah, Terrific. totally, yeah, so yeah. Good. But how's that for a message? Because, like, you know, mm. the the quest for immortality, immortality is a curse. Yes. You know? Yeah. And again, there's just that wonderful sort of morality play at the end of it where um, is it the first Doctor yeah. who translates the uh, the old High Gallifreyan as to lose is to win and he who wins shall lose. It's just so wonderful. Mm. And, you know, there's there's something really, um, you know, poetic about the way in which Barusa, uh, who has been, uh, you know, ruling Gallifrey in one way or another, or we can only assume for, for centuries at this point, is depicted as mm. the politician who uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And he's like the lesson of that. And it's just... It, it is heartbreaking to see because obviously, you know, the Bruces that we've seen previously, particularly in Invasion of Time, just seem like such genial chaps. John Arnott's Bruce yeah, is my yeah. favourite. Yeah. But here he is, you know, sort of in a scowling incarnation. And it's like, yeah, this guy's gone rogue. He's gone evil and he's wanting to yep. rule forever. But actually, that's a curse. And that's, yeah, yes. that's Doctor Who at its best. They, it is it's such a great light bulb moment when you realise what that actually means. It's a, it's a, another, another, like it's a little bit of a, like a, a stamp of this era, like... The, the, ch- the chase for immortality will um will set you know you'll end up in trouble because like like with Mordrin and like with this yeah. like if you if you get immortality you might actually get it but it'll be awful yeah which is just a great concept yeah, yeah. careful what you yeah. wish for sometimes it's yeah. better the devil you know and other quips <laughs> <laughs> gents we've definitely gone way over five minutes for this one but that's probably oh, yeah. oh because yes it's come the on five it's the five doctors, doctors. <laughs> I kind of knew we would exactly. I it's all about knew extravagance of being over the top oh, it's just so f- so silly and so fun. And just the, all those bits in the death zone. Oh, we just like rent, like just revisit monsters and that ludicrous, th- it's like the Raston Warrior robot. Or <laughs> yeah, oh my God. Man in a, the man in a suit who just throws like javelins, which is just so fun. Oh my God. It's like, it's just so, it's like a fun adventure. The Rast, oh, the Raston Warrior robot. Yeah. I can't believe I forgot to mention that. That's such a good crawl, like, or never ending story type, like, uh, you know, just like, a mythological obstacle they've got to pass and it's just so fun like, I do like how he disappears because he's so quick he just sort of jumps in the air and he's gone <laughs> I love that there's that really silly jump in the air yeah. it's, so, it's so comedic I love it oh my god I, I love, love it too movie. like Olus in the Three Doctors huh? <laughs> but Cole you now have to say what is the the crappest thing about the Five Doctors what makes this actually a crap favourite okay I had to really really look within myself <laughs> <laughs> to find something that I didn't like. And I found one. In the, at the end of the day, it really it just comes down to the separate releases of The Five Doctors. I w- loved the black flippy thing, and I hate that they changed it to the blue wobbly thing. That's it. That's all I can say. 
<laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about, right? We we know exactly what you're talking about, but it's just hilarious that like you can't find it within yourself to bring like yourself to admit one fault of this story, <laughs> other than a revised special effect. I can't, I can't fault it. I just love it too much. Yes. <laughs> Even though you know it's just, pretty, I know it's just it's, generally crap all the yeah. way through, you still love it. That's I do. I, I love lots of things about it. I loved like looking looking into some of the history of it and finding out that the BBC weren't really willing to put up all the budget. And yeah. actually, our Australian Broadcasting Corporation, the ABC, actually put up a chunk of change to get it made as well. Oh, so that's you know a nice little t- tie <laughs> to Australia as well. Australian taxpayers. All oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's Australian great. taxpayers oh. saving the day. And from one party to another, Dan, it's time for me to hand the mic to you for your choice of the 80s. <laughs> oh, my, my crap favourite of the 80s. There's a lot of crap. But yeah, like we've said a few times, the, the 80s is a glorious time. For <laughs> it's a crap part. fest. Yeah, it's great. Uh, uh, Silver Nemesis is my, is my <laughs> pick for this one. Uh, it's a classic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A classic Silver and Soap. That, yeah, they, yeah they, didn't nail every, they didn't nail every single one. I, I love this one. It's, I've got a real soft spot for it. It's um, it's another one of those sort of like uh, McCoy's doctor has done something in the past and it's coming back to coming back around and he's got to fix it, which he does fairly easily. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's got a, we got a, this is a pretty convoluted story. I really, there's so many things I love about it. I really love right at the start when the comet passes after the mathematician is predicting it's going to pass mm. and it goes past and there's a little twinkle of Kef music and um, you see the statue through the glass and it's just really that's it's really spooky and cool and um. Yeah, there's lots of uh, so yeah, it's like Cybermen uh, and uh, Nazis, which I think I think Nazis are a big mistake. Like uh, I think we've said before on the show, yeah, Nazis are kind of they kind of Doctor Who's you know it's generally it's generally pretty light. They do deal with darkness and and, and heavy stuff, but I think Nazi the Nazis and all the stuff behind them and and the Second World War is it's a great weight that the show can't really bear. Yeah, it can't really it can't really do them, and I don't think the story even needs them. I think that I mean a I think they're oh, a bit crap. Not. And I, I just think it could have yeah. gone... It's just like extra time they didn't need to, to, to devote to them because you've got yeah. men who are crap and lovely in their own way. And then you've got the glorious, wonderful centre around which this entire story revolves, Lady Painfort and Richard, who are just so... <laughs> I yeah. just love... They're so great. Uh, it's like Fiona Walker and Gerard Murphy, just like a star turn for this one. They're like, he's so, he's a coward and she's so serious. Uh, they bring this gravity to so many absurd situations. Like when they they, they time travel, they appear screaming in in a yeah. cafe, which is just so fun. The cafe is her house, like the hundred years in the future, and she gets that immediately, which is so so fun. Uh, and then they go to visit her tomb, which is now a safari park, which is just yeah. so fun. Uh, they're, they're confronted by like skinheads and a bit of like a little bit of social commentary for the time, and and they they proceed to mess them up and tie them up and hang them from a tree, which is just so yeah. fun. <laughs> There's a bit where she's just kind of like starts to lose it a bit and she's like, all things shall be mine. And she's like sitting at a bus stop waiting for Richard to um, thumb down a, like to, to hitchhike a car, which she figures out. She's just sitting at a bus stop. And then she's in the, it all sort of culminates with her in a car with an American, like a rich American in a limo. Um, and she's just saying, all things will be mine. And the American is like, yes, yes, they, so they shall, my dear. And it's just like, it's just so, I love them. It They're so is fun. ludicrous, but it's great. They're so fun. And there's a bit where they confront their own, the facts of their own deaths so differently. Like Richard's super freaked out by finding his own tomb and, and also Lady Painfort's tomb without bones in it. And uh, she just takes it in a stride. She's like, everyone's, everyone dies and it's like, you know, it's normal. And, and she's not freaked out by it because she's, she's got destiny that she's like super excited about. Um, and then you've got, you've got the uh, Sylvester, you've got, you've got Sylvan Sofa as the Cyberman. And Sylvan yep. Sofa so so fun in this one. Like at the start, mm. they're just watching jazz in a, in a garden, at a garden oh, somewhere. Mm. It's just 
It's so lovely. It's so sweet. That crappy 80s version of jazz. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so oh, it's so fun. And like they're they they're kind of chuckling. I mean, there is some serious bits, but they're sort of chuckling and like having a good time for a lot of it. And um, there's uh, some funny bits with a with a queen stand-in, which uh, apparently they tried to get um, Prince Edward to do it, but uh, the 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 palace said no. Yeah, so I can't see that a, happening. The queen with her corgis is just such a that's so funny. Oh my god, <laughs> I love it. Uh, this yeah, there's so many things to love about this one. What about you guys? What do you love about it? I agree mostly with everything you've said. It's it's just so much fun it's one of those stories that when it came out on vhs i remember like lining up for it yeah it had a bit of a different cover as well it was green and silver and stuff well well, this is another one that my sister and i used to watch to death basically and and it came with a uh, pbs like some kind of american or canadian uh making of documentary oh yeah that that was so cool just sort of seeing the behind the scenes and being able to you know, have uh, watched the the uh, interviews with Sylvester and Sophie, and they're, they're obviously just having a great time. And it's summer in the um, summer in England, and all this kind of stuff. And it's just, yeah, kind of like like the Android invasion, I guess, and and also even Black Orchid Part One. Just like the filming location stuff really adds to it. I feel, and in that regard, I don't really care that it yeah. doesn't make any sense or it's a little bit crap here and there. Like, there's just so much nostalgia attached to this one. Um, and even the Nazis, like you're right, Dan. I think Doctor Who shouldn't shouldn't do the Nazis. Yeah. It should only ever do them through through allegory, right? And they they really don't um that don't fit in mm. here. But they're such fools. Yeah, <laughs> they're they, almost comedic. That, yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, exactly. And it's almost like Mel Brooks' take on Nazis. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I'm just gonna go along with the fun here. Like everything is just played for laughs. And yeah, yeah I think it works as a result of that, even though. It doesn't sort of, uh, you know, conform to what perhaps the, the standard of a, of a proper, proper in inverted commas, Doctor Who story is. And, and the, I mean, even the, even the Cybermen are a bit crap, uh, but they're, they're just a gagil. And like uh, watching um, the, Nazi, the neo-Nazis trying to um, yeah. bargain with them and you know that's not going to work. And then David Banks is another, David Banks doing another, another kind of hammy turn as the cyber leader. I, I have a soft spot. <laughs> I've got a soft spot for David Banks. He's great. He's fun. Definitely. And then Ace gets to bash up a... A bunch of Cybermen um, it, oh, uh, yeah. with uh, gold coins and a uh, slingshot. There, there's lots of remembrance th- There's quite a few remembrance things in this, like Remnants of the Daleks. There's, she gets mm. to mess up some of the, the monsters. It's a previously set up situation by the Doctor that he comes back to fix. There's a sentient, all-powerful object. Sure. And then he finishes by giving the weapon to the bad guys and it destroys them. Wow, like you're right. There is so much remembrance stuff going and on. Then, it's a remake. <laughs> yeah, and there's a little bit of more gain in like Lady Painfort. I love this, the Nemesis statue uh, and uh, the way they sort of light it and make it glow. It's just Yeah, kinda, that does look it's cool. Kinda, it, it's kind of, but it's kind of a little silly. Like in that same way that light in Ghost Light is a little comedic, but also <laughs> quite spooky and a little bit like quite off-putting and creepy and a bit scary. Love the Nemesis. Going back to that uh, making of documentary, Steve, I completely forgot about that. I had that as well yeah. on the on the end mm. of my VHS copy. VHL. Back in the days before DVDs with special features, Sweet Dorks, if you had something like a documentary on a release, you'd watch the story on tape and then wait a while and keep watching. And yeah. then after <laughs> the right. bit of like a couple of minutes of black, the documentary <laughs> would start. <laughs> and yeah. it was cool. Like you say, like interviews with... Uh, with Sylvester and Sophie, uh, interviews with David Banks. You get to see some cool, like, Cyberman uniform stuff in the background. Mm. Like, yeah, mm. it's great. How's that timer going? 
Oh, we're definitely out of time. I've waffled for way too long. But we should ask you, Dan, what's the, what's that one crap thing about Silver Nemesis that makes you just go, yeah, hands up, that's just, that's crap. I mean, I won't say Painford and Richard because I think they, they're fabulous and wonderful and hilarious and great uh, and just written so well. I, but I will say Richard, at the very end, my favorite crap part of this is right at the end when they're like, like Richard the Coward who's awesome, makes it at the end. And they're like, oh, we'll give you a lift back to your own time. And he's like, oh, great. And then at the end, just before they do, they listen to some more, some more, some more music uh, where Richard comes out with a, with, a, with, a, with a friend and he's like, well, I don't know much about this jazz you're talking about, Doctor, but I can play you this. And it's like, starts playing medieval <laughs> recorder music and it's just so great. It's so silly and so stupid. And like, That's a great he, crap moment. Yeah. yeah. And Richard does it with such glee that I just, I love him. It's just so wonderful. <laughs> it's great and then the, it's so ludicrous that Ace's question is rebuked by the doctor being like shh I want to listen to more of Richard's ludicrous music <laughs> it's good <laughs> so good thank you that's uh, yeah I really love Silver Nemesis it's ter- it's um, pretty bad but I love it <laughs> well that was great choices all around I think chaps yeah really fun that was a fun one this year mm. I enjoyed that and we're not going to get too much hate either yeah, yeah. we got a bit of hate last time because we were being mean but hey we don't have to throw out so many um, sunglasses emojis. Mm. Well, so so we've done um, terrible, like the the worst Doctor Who last year. This year we've done uh, crap Our faves. Crap favorites. We're gonna have to come up with something something for next year. I don't know. We'll, we'll get we'll get on it. <laughs> suggestions mm. in a yeah, uh, suggestions a in an email or a tweet or a private message, sweet dogs. Please, our next Christmas special. We're out of ideas. What do you reckon? <laughs> we've been running on empty for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was a lot of fun. Thanks, everyone. Yes. Uh, cool. Well, it's time. Uh, we're almost at the end now. It's time for some shout-outs. So, yeah, we had a, an email uh, from Christopher Benz. Really? Uh, who, uh, actually, yeah, our first email for a long time, Cole, definitely. Wow. Um, but a really good email that, um, uh, with, with a hypothesis of his around how uh, the best producers are actually those who are also creative producers who can also write. Sure. And I think there's, uh, there's a degree of correlation there, definitely. So thanks, Christopher, for your email. Yeah. Um, Thank you, Chris. Uh, and uh, a Merry Christmas to you. Yeah. And sweet dogs, please, like, take a leaf out of Chris's book and send us some emails. We're lonely. We want to hear from you guys. <laughs> Any suggestions? It's all welcome. And also uh, a shout out to two familiar sweet dogs to us here at New to Who. Uh, once again, a shout out to Ross and Samuel. We have not forgotten about you guys. You've been supporters of our podcast for a long time now. We love hearing from you. And we do promise that as soon as time allows, there's a special something on its way to you. But in the meantime, Merry Christmas, guys. Hope you and family are safe and well. And a couple of shared loves this time on New to Who, uh, a couple of podcast recommendations. The first is the Naimon B. Praise yes. with Jack and Joe, uh, very much recommended, uh, particularly because a friend of the podcast, Nathan Bottomley, was recently on to discuss uh, the Graham Williams era. Yes. Uh, so, really, so tune in for that. It was a really good deep dive. Like, it was. It was a really good episode. Yeah, definitely. And, and the other is Gallifrey's Most Wanted, a super positive uh, podcast, um, well worth listening to. They go through uh, each of the doctors in turn. Uh, and, yeah, one that I recently discovered and very much worth the listen. So uh, Merry Christmas to, to both of those podcasts. Absolutely. Well, that was really fun, guys. Uh, mm. Thanks for, um, thanks for con- help, uh, convening for, for that one. It was, good, it was a good giggle. I think, once again, it's probably quite prudent that we say thanks, sweet dogs, for sticking with us. We know times are tough. Um, we don't get to record as much as we would like. Um, mm. But we really appreciate the fact that you still tune in, you still listen, and one of these days, 
we'll all be back in a room together and we won't have to be looking at each other through these tiny little windows on our computer screens. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hopefully that's next year. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we'll, we'll hopefully we'll be back soon. But until then, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Holidays, all of that. Mm. Uh, you can buy any of these crap stories from BBC Online or view them via the usual <laughs> streaming outlets. You can follow New to Who on Twitter at New to Who Podcast and also Facebook or even email us at New to Who Podcast at gmail.com. All our episodes can be found at newtowho.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you feel like subscribing and leaving a bajillion star review, these things are a wonderful help to us. We hate goodbyes. So until next time, I'm Dan. I'm Cole. And I'm Stephen. See you guys. Be seeing you.